0: International Media Ministries presents dramatic scriptwriting with award winning screenwriter and director Bart Gavigan. Lesson two Inspiration and Perspiration. Okay, here's a big question. Inspiration, can it be taught? And the answer is. Uh, God has gifted people with different gifts, different uh, possibilities. And the issue is not how great will your gift be or what will you for. The issue is will you maximize your gift? Will you, will you work in the top band of your gift? In other words, The gift God has given you, will you actually hit the ceiling of that gift? Will you keep pushing the ceiling of that gift? So part of having a, a miserable childhood, in a sense, was a gift to me at the point of being a writer. I didn't realize it at the time, but there was a grace in it. I'm not saying it's what God intended. I'm just saying that, sure, there's a grace in it. Maybe you didn't have that grace. There is a sense in which inspiration can be taught. And it's to do with imagination, which is very central to inspiration. It's to do with imagination and a word we call empathy. Uh, This word, empathy, means being able to understand the feelings, the thoughts the desires, the choices, the sins of another, of other people. It doesn't mean you agree with them or sympathize, but you can empathize, you can understand. And to have empathy, uh, to have imagination in this particular way, is part of what we are actually called to as human beings, and certainly part of what we're called to as Christians, that we would empathize with others, of different cultures to our own, of different backgrounds to our own, that we would be able to empathize. It doesn't mean we approve always. And this empathy, this imagination, is actually uh, something that can be developed. This is something hopefully as we grow older, as we go through life, it deepens in us, it grows more in us. And that's imagination. Empathy actually involves imagination. It involves being able to project ourselves into the circumstances of another person. That's a, that's a leap of the imagination. And that, for me, is the core of how inspiration can be taught. It's like a muscle that can be developed. It doesn't mean to say that it will change the fact that people have different gifts to begin with. I'm just saying it can be taught. It's like comedy. Like I, was, uh, I was in the States last summer, and there were two delightful guys at the conference where I was teaching, and they were performers, they were, and they performed, they were comedians. And they did a little set, and at the end people were talking to them, and they said, can comedy be taught? Can, can uh, being funny be taught? And the guy said, no, I, I don't think so. And in a way, that's the right answer. You know, there's a certain sense where that's true. You can't be taught to be funny, do you know, in a sense. And then the next day, I happened to be teaching on comedy. That was what I was doing at that workshop. And uh, I said, well, actually, um, I'm not sure you can teach someone to be funny, but you can teach them that they are funny. (laughs) Now, how can that be? And here's how it can be. His children are funny, aren't they? What they say is funny. It makes us laugh. I mean, my, our four-year-old is just funny what he says. And, and, and what they do is they instinctively, uh, very innocently move towards the center of humor, comedy. And, and what happens, what makes us laugh and why well, the core of comedy are two worlds colliding that should not collide, that should be miles apart. Okay, they just go Boom and we laugh because it's so funny you know so I can teach a writer about how to make two worlds collide do you understand I can teach them the craft of that I can teach them how to think like that how to think if I'm writing comedy I'm constantly bringing together two worlds that collide that shouldn't even be in the same room okay and that will be funny Now, whether it's inspired comedy or not depends on a lot of other things, okay? It depends on inspiration and perspiration. But I can actually communicate the core of what being funny is. And you can't imagine how released people get by that simple little sentence. The core of comedy is two worlds colliding that shouldn't be anywhere near each other, okay? People suddenly feel, I can write comedy. When we come to um, writing, when we come to deal with inspiration, perspiration, there are two words uh, that are very, very important. One is brainstorming, and the other is editing. One is called brainstorming, where we storm with the brain, and then the other is editing. editing. And um, most people can do one or the other well. If you can do both, they will come to your door knocking and offering you money. They really will. And the reason is, if you can edit, you can look at a script, and if you understand craft, you can say what's wrong with it. Like, that's why they call you a script doctor, because they send you scripts that are sick and you diagnose them and say, here's why they're sick, here's what's wrong, here's the disease they have. But unless you can brainstorm, you can't make them better. Do you understand? You can only say what's wrong with them. So, editing and brainstorming, uh, people will tend to be good at one or the other. Um, The big question, of course, is when to do which. When do you brainstorm, and when do you edit? And how do you do this? How, how do you brainstorm? How, how do you edit? Well, there comes a point with uh, all work where you have to brainstorm. You, ha- you have to generate ideas. You have to explore ideas. You have to ask the what if question. What if I was walking down the road and the bus ran me over? What if my child was kidnapped? What if, what if, what if? What if? Uh, brainstorming is is, um, fundamental to stories if you can't brainstorm you'll just write the first story that comes into your head and in writing uh, as in all art forms what you want to achieve is called the position of choice so you know people say to me I have two great ideas for film And I say, well, how many others do you have? They say, well, oh, no, I have two, but I have two great ideas. And I say, well, if you have a hundred, you probably have maybe a fairly good idea for film. And if you have a thousand, you might have two good ideas for film. Because it's due with the position of choice. Unless you actually stress your brain, why should your ideas be good? You might be right. It might be you, only two, good, two ideas, and they're wonderful. Who am I to say? The likelihood is they're not. The likelihood is they're tiny, they're not universal, they're not big enough in the sense of entering the human emotions, OK? Uh, because unless you have lots of ideas, how can you say two are good, OK? And how will you get lots of ideas? Brainstorming, OK? And we can, we can talk a bit in, in different ways you can brainstorm. Uh, when to do which is very fundamental. Uh, it's, it's a very, very important question. If you brainstorm when you should be editing, it's a disaster. And if you edit when you're brainstorming, it's a disaster. Okay? You know, say you come to a problem in your script and you're going to brainstorm. What will invariably happen is you come up with different you brainstorm is when you just throw ideas straight off the top of your head. Okay? You just you you throw them around. You should always brainstorm at least in pairs, preferably in three of you. You should never brainstorm alone. I I I I have no sympathy for writers who brainstorm alone. I, I don't understand it. I think it's never necessary, even if it's with your mother. Brainstorm with your mother. You know what I mean? Uh, and there's reasons for that, which we'll talk about. But you you would never brainstorm alone. Okay. But what you do is you just throw ideas back and forth or flip them up in the air. And immediately, immediately, uh, what will happen is your editing instinct will say, oh, that's a terrible idea. Let's, uh, Let's cross that one straight off, you know. And again and again, what will happen is if you will be truthful to this process, that terrible idea will become the foundation of your solution. Now, sometimes it is a terrible idea, okay, but sometimes it's the foundation. Of your solution and you will only get to that if the rule is when we're brainstorming we're brainstorming and no one says that's a terrible idea it's just an idea it may be terrible it may be great we don't know we're brainstorming we're not editing now when we edit we'll look through and see what's terrible or what's great or how it fits or what the implications are okay you brainstorm and you edit and you never brainstorm alone when people come to you they say oh I don't know what's wrong with this script but but there's probably something wrong with the ending or the beginning and they always think beginnings and endings are the real thing and if there's something wrong with the ending or the beginning as a script doctor you're always mightily relieved because those you can fix quite easily and it only means uh, changing certain things in the film if there's something wrong with the middle you just groan it means you're going to almost have to take the whole car apart, the whole thing apart, and build from scratch. You know? um, but basically, uh, yes, in a script, everything changes. Everything shifts as you change something. So you have to actually know very quickly uh, the implication of changes. You have to know very quickly the implication of your brainstorming. And that's one of the reasons why you should never brainstorm alone. Because if you're brainstorming alone, even when you have the right solution, it may take you months for you to know it's the right solution. You'll go on doubting it, questioning it, and so on. Whereas if you work with someone who understands craft with you, they can affirm, they can confirm, they can say, yes, that's great, that's a great idea. They can set you free to actually run with the idea. In a sense, this is like stress testing a car. Uh, On your own, it may take you two months to stress test the script actually know if it's any good with someone who's equally talented you could probably do that in an hour so this is wasted time and you don't have time to waste you have a calling okay inspiration inspiration is the pearl of great price okay you can know all the craft you know. You can know everything there is to know about craft in the world, and produce nothing good. Okay. And what it means is, what happens if you have a brilliant idea as you're writing, just a brilliant, a wonderful visual moment. Okay, a, a wonderful scene. What do you do? What do you do? How do you, how do you, discover? if it's a temptation, or it's the real thing. How do you discover that this is the thing that will make your script work, or this is the thing actually that's totally self-indulgent? It's brilliant, but it has no place in your script. And people will tell you different things, but what I would say to you is, if you have an inspiration, uh, stick with that, so uh, work with that. Find a logic to fit it into your script, okay? And then later, you can be rigorous about it. Later, you can actually say, yes, this is wonderful, uh, but it's the wrong film. Yes, this is wonderful, but it's the wrong novel. Yes, this is wonderful, but it doesn't actually develop the character. It slows the action down and so on. So I certainly wouldn't dismiss your great ideas. I would, uh, I would find a logic, bend the logic, and always move the logic of story to make it work. You can always ask the questions of that great moment to make it work. And the further you go into a film... Uh, or into any visual media, the rule is that your pace increases as you go through the film as a writer. In other words, things that take so long here, by the end you have no time for. You are sprinting by the end of a film as a writer. So if in that last third of the film you're not sprinting, you take it out. They'll take it out in the editing room. The time that is your time, is the time before the story begins. So the story does not usually begin at the beginning of the film. The inciting incident rarely comes on page one in film. Sometimes does. Sometimes it's happened before the film begins. But usually it's like 10 minutes in, 5 minutes in, 15 minutes in. After that you're in very dangerous territory and you need to know how to write really well. In Rocky it's 32 minutes in. You have to be a genius to be able to do that. Okay. I'm not saying Rocky's a good film. I'm just saying you have to be a genius to bring your inciting incident in, 32 minutes in, and have that work. Because um, your story hasn't begun. If your story hasn't begun, you're marking time. It's your time. And the time you're marking is you're establishing the context, building character, developing character, starting subplots, And then your main plot's going to begin, and once it begins, you've lost your time. The story now is starting to move, and it is starting to dictate to you. You don't dictate to it anymore. So you're riding the tiger after that. Okay. So in film, uh, a good writer would never dream of uh, beginning. uh, How can one put it? Um, (coughs) Beginning at a gallop. Do you know what I mean? He may, he may he may decide in a specific film yes I have to do that like Hitchcock say in um, in vertigo okay he begins with a chase across the rooftops can anyone tell me why he does that why would Hitchcock begin with a chase across the rooftop which ends with someone hanging uh, from a gutter a policeman who tries to help him falls to his death and it ends with a man looking down at the dead body below and we cut what's going to come next that makes this chase imperative. Why has he began at a gallop? Because we're about to have twelve minutes of talk, 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 of establishing the story. So, if you're going to have twelve minutes of talk, for goodness' sake, give us some action down the front so we listen to the talk. Okay. So, to sum up this section of of craft, inspiration, perspiration. Um, craft and inspiration really there's a Japanese saying which is first acquire infallible technique and then open yourself to inspiration okay so first acquire infallible technique and then open yourself to inspiration and this in a sense starts to put the goal before you this is my answer to people say oh I've been on a structure workshop or I've been on a film languages workshop And you say, well, what do you aspire to? Do you aspire to being mediocre, or do you aspire to having infallible technique where you're as good as anyone in the world at the level of craft? What do you aspire to? (laughs) Then we deal with the problem of inspiration and perspiration. Perspiration, uh, there are many, many definitions of it. The one I love is, uh, about writing is uh, writing is staring at a blank piece of paper until your forehead bleeds. Okay. That's a good one. You know, it gives some idea of the problem. Okay? It gives some idea of the commitment. Where do stories come from? Life. Okay, where do stories come from? Life. Um, Thornton Wilder, who's a great American writer, uh, when asked this question, said, "The life, the life, the daily life. That's where stories come from." Uh, In the Player, if any of you've seen that film, there's um, a point in the script conference where one of the the young, the new guy on the block, sort of says, "Well, you know, there's, there's stories in every newspaper. Let's." So here's three right here, and starts to go through them. Now, of course, the issue is, you know, there are three stories in every newspaper. Are they great stories? uh, That's another question. Uh, How many newspapers do you have to read before you find the great stories? That's to do with perspiration, to do with endeavor, to do with... um, And by great, okay, you're looking for a word... To define great in this context and great is the word universal this is very important because you all come from different cultures it doesn't mean to say that your story will not be rooted in your culture it must be your story must be rooted in the culture that you're addressing that you're talking to that you're writing within Um, every story has a logic it has a world, and you uh, break the logic of your story at your peril. Every, every story exists within a, a culture, whether it be a culture, a real culture, or a culture of imagination. Uh, but the great stories are the ones that whatever culture they're written in, they break out and they appeal to the human heart, wherever that human heart is. Okay. All right. Research. When do you research? People vary on this. Uh, there's a form of research, of course, which is, is like reading newspapers, is studying, is all those things. But when you actually are, are going to, when you've fixed on a project, when you when you know the story uh, roughly, what you want to do, um, the rule is, uh, I would say, don't really research until you know your story. Such a waste of time and energy. Um, if you're like me, you have no memory. Uh, I, I used to think I had a very bad memory. Um, as I get older, I think, have I got Alzheimer's? You know? Um, I guess everyone thinks that. And slowly I realize no, actually, you have a very good memory. And it's very simple, which is that they estimate that the mind can only hold nine major subjects in its head at any given time. So it obviously becomes highly selective. And that's why you must write them down. The other thing about research is that, that knowing your subject, know, whether it's research or just writing about what you know, is that uh, it will give you what the Irish call the gleaming detail. The gleaming detail. It'll give you the, the thing that only people who know this subject would know. The gleaming detail. The thing that will make it give it credibility, believability. Okay? In other words it will be the thing that rescues your writing from cliché. Without research, you write cliché. Without knowing a subject, you write cliché. And what what is cliché? What is it to be a hack? What is it to be mediocre? It's basically (laughs) to rewrite stories that we've heard in the same old guys, only differently, again and again. The whole of television is basically taken up with cliché, by and large, okay? It's the same genre, the same story, the same thriller, reworked in another gaudy guise, or disguise, okay? It's that word, lazy, cliché. And I'm not against cliché. Uh, Stanislavski said a, a great thing once. He said, "Cliché is fine when you can't think of anything else." You know. Another important thing to understand that will encourage you at the level of perspiration. Okay. Is no matter how epic the story no matter how epic the background at the heart of it is an intimate story of a few relationships that's the heart of every story okay so whether it's war and peace or whether it's Lawrence of Arabia at the core of it is a little story a little intimate story and don't you find that and if you don't find that it's never going to work okay and that's encouraging That, that that's encouraging at the point of perspiration where you, um, where you look at all this and you think, oh my goodness, how am I ever going to deal with something so, so big a story? Okay. How can you be a writer if you don't know something about psychology? How can you be a writer if you don't know about the inner workings of people? Now, do understand me. I hold no brief, particularly for lots of schools of psychology, I won't go into which ones, okay? But basically, I, I don't hold a brief for them, okay? But at least you should know them. And at least you should know the great paradigms, okay? What are the great paradigms? I'm not going to go through them all. That would take too long. But let me throw a few of the great paradigms at you. Here's a paradigm of, of basic psychology. Victim, rescuer, oppressor. Ever heard of this triangle? It's the fundamental triangle in pastoral care, I'd say. If you don't know this, you shouldn't be in pastoral care. Okay? What are you doing in pastoral care? You're in for deep trouble. Um, Okay, And, and how this goes is the victim always remains the same. Victim. And you rescue the victim, and within six months you're the oppressor. Victim, rescuer, oppressor. It's a classic triangle that everyone who works in pastoral care needs to know because they need to know they're likely to be the oppressor. Having, they'll go from hero to zero, the other way, <laughs> within six months. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. It's, a, it's a paradigm. It's no big deal. It's only a big deal if you don't know it. Okay? Uh, another paradigm, and I'm not going to talk about uh, I'm okay, you're okay, but adult... Parent, child is a a basic paradigm, okay? Most people relate from their child or their parent. It's a way of controlling life, actually. Very few people relate from their adult or relate to others from their adult. And if you don't know these things, why do you think you can write about them? Remember what this is all about, is making the interior, exterior, and you don't know about the interior? This is a problem. Okay, obsessive personalities, hysteric personalities, schizoid personalities, paranoid personalities. These are four basic types. Again, I'm not tying it to any school, it doesn't interest me, but these are four basic types, okay? All of us have parts of these in us. If you're in media, you're almost certainly an obsessive. If you're in Christian mission, you're almost certainly an obsessive, okay? If you don't think so, just ask your wife or your husband, you know? Okay? What are the traits of an obsessive? There are about 84 major traits of an obsessive, everything from perfectionism to... I'm not going to tell you them. Go look them up. They're in loads of books, you know? It's important to know them. It's important to know them people don't know them they don't know them in life and they don't know them in their writing and so their writing is mediocre you know but I'm just saying that at least if you write you have to know the basic paradigms otherwise you don't respect yourself or your work